Monoliths versus microservices. The architectural debate continues across the internet. SoundCloud is a popular music company who experienced the rapid development benefits of a monolithic architecture, as well as the long-term technical debt. That technical debt has since been relieved by a move towards microservices. In this episode of Software Engineering Daily, we talk about the realities of moving from a monolith to a microservices architecture. SoundCloud is a social music application with millions of users. SoundCloud recently moved from a monolithic architecture to a microservices architecture, and our guest Lucas Plotniki wrote about it in his blog post, BFF at SoundCloud. Lucas, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi. Hi, Jeff. So for those who don't know, what is SoundCloud and what are the application requirements? Um, so SoundCloud, um, they described themselves as, uh, you know, the leading social sound platform. And, uh, basically somebody told me once, um, it's like YouTube for music or audio. So actually, um, you can, you can create music, you can upload music to SoundCloud and people can listen to it and you can listen to it basically on any, more or less any possible channel. So you can go to the webpage, soundcloud.com. And, and just listen to, to the content or uh, the content can be embedded into different other web pages uh, using, using the APIs. And of course, you can listen on the go by using one of the apps or even you can stream uh, SoundCloud content to, you know, network loudspeakers like made by Sonos and stuff. Sure. But maybe one, one small thing, you know, because people maybe may, may, got, may, may got a bit confused by me. Like, uh, I work for ThoughtWorks. You know, ThoughtWorks is the, the IT consultancy. I'm, I'm a developer. And you may ask yourself, why am I talking about SoundCloud and SoundCloud's architecture and all that stuff? So, um, like, short story to that. Uh, a colleague of mine, Sam Newman, who is, who is really into microservices, um, he had the idea that uh, it would be nice to visit some of the companies which, which spend a lot of time um, doing this style of architecture to basically see what they've learned, how they, uh, how was the journey, how they arrived, where they arrived, and back in October he basically visited Germany, and we went together to Berlin to uh, to spend a few days with SoundCloud, and see uh, what they're doing, uh, what they learned, and and what uh, what could be actually, you know, uh, shared with the wider community and. This is how the whole blog post actually happened. Absolutely. Well, uh, and ThoughtWorks is kind of a, um, it's a very intellectual, uh, educational driven organization. So it's no surprise that there, there was a drive to learn about other architectures, even though it wasn't necessarily like a customer call or something. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, so, and, and I just want to say like, I'm a huge fan of SoundCloud as a product. I've used it to host my music for a long time. And like, I've done various projects using SoundCloud. It's just a really, really cool application. So, um, it, it's a real privilege to get to do some reporting on the, on the architecture of their app. Um, SoundCloud was originally developed as a monolithic rails application and we hear this term often, monolithic application. Can you describe what is a monolithic application? Sure. So I think, you know, monolithic application is, is uh, probably the majority of stuff as you as a developer will see out there. Uh, it's basically one code base and uh, providing the code or running the code for the, for the whole 
application in the completeness of its features or functionality your business needs to achieve uh, the defined goals. So it's ma mainly, you know, uh, a lot of people working on one code base and everything is deployed at once um, and uh, that's it. Right. But by definition, if I can add this, like because people often, like right now, we, we discuss my microservices a lot and people tend also to say, yo, you know, microservices are probably the thing to do. They're way better than the monoliths and <laughs> monoliths are, are bad. It's not necessarily that way, you know. Uh, it depends what do you want to actually to achieve. So you can have a monolith and it can be a perfectly good thing. You can even have a good monolith. You can you can structure it in a way that it doesn't pro it it's it's still manageable and you can still extend it and it doesn't have all the pain points people discovered when they tried to achieve such a scale and uh, pace of of change uh, so that they arrived at the microservices. Is there often a trade off that? organizations or applications tend to make early on in a project, like particularly when you have fewer developers where the organization or the set of application developers says, we are going to willingly develop in a monolith because it's easier to work with fewer developers on a monolith. Um, it's just going to be easier to manage. Um, is, is that a cognizant trade-off that, that developers are often making? Uh, I think nowadays... Nowadays, people probably ask the question, how should we start? Should we already, you know, from the beginning, split it in different services or not? I think uh, a few years back, uh, not that many people were having that kind of thoughts. You know, normally you, you have a problem, you start, you start small, you have, a sm you know, you have a small solution and it grows and it grows and it grows. And the question is actually, when do you start to think about, you know, splitting this up, maybe dividing it in two different applications that can run independently and communicate over network and mm. stuff like this. I think by the nature of software development, um, you you start and then you develop in one, one kind of place and therefore so many monoliths are existing out there. Mm. So... Is there something about Ruby on Rails that makes Rails applications tend towards becoming monolithic? <laughs> You're asking because SoundCloud was initially developed in, in Rails, yeah? So, uh, that, um, that, uh, that absolutely. And also, I think uh, in, we had David Hennemeyer Hansen on recently, and he's he seems to be bullish on, on monoliths. Or, uh, well, that, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, um, you know, he he seems okay with the idea of monolith. So he doesn't see a, a mapping between monolith and uh, and something that should eventually be broken up into microservices. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that point. So um, uh, by no extent, I'm I'm an expert on Rails. Uh, just just the opposite. I don't have even like that much experience with with uh, with Rails. Um, so I wouldn't say that you know by definition if you start to if you start developing your application using Rails you will end up with a monolith. I think mm -hmm. maybe there are some concepts which um, which tend to result in certain uh, certain monolithic uh, um, characteristics like you know this whole Active Directory. Your model is a table, model is a table, and all that stuff. Um, but I think if you are disciplined enough and, you know, you, you have a clear picture in your head, even even doing Rails or any other technology, you can still um, 
design it that way that it's still a well-behaved monolith or or you do even microservices with that i don't know if it's a perfect technology for it but uh, I, I i would say it's definitely doable i wouldn't say that's you know that's ray's fault that people are doing monoliths <laughs> i wouldn't say that no no <laughs> Software Engineering Daily did a show with the chief architect of Uber, Matt Ranney, and one of the things that he said was that microservices are often a way to maintain a good understanding and a means of communication about the application architecture among the engineers. So what he was saying was that like, there's not some objective metric we can use to measure how awesome microservices have improved our system or made things faster. Uh, but microservices are usually just good at improving communication between the engineers and bounding uh, the, the the concerns between different components of an architecture. Would you agree with that? Yeah, m- most definitely. I mean, I got often I got or people are asking the question is like, what was first? Like, uh, was the reason that we are going towards microservices the technology and the technical problems we had, or was it more the the organizational organizational problems we had? You know, how do we structure teams? Who works on what? Why? How do we? You know. Uh, achieve greater autonomy of people? How can we actually guarantee that people are doing what they can do and what they want to do in, in regards to the tech stacks and all that stuff? So um, I, I would definitely agree with that with that sentence mm. being that the, one of the biggest advantages you get is, of, is, is you know, the, the reverse Conve- Conway's law that you can actually, you know, work around the problem and you can try to to build your teams and so so that your applications reflect that and they're smaller and more cohesive and and all that stuff. Right. Okay, so with that in mind, SoundCloud's director of engineering, Phil Calcado, wrote a long blog post about the set of problems that stemmed from the monolithic architecture. And these problems bled into product development and design and how those those organizations worked with engineering and the result was that the organization as a whole soundcloud slowed down a lot why did the monolithic architecture lead to severe slowdown in the company's uh company-wide development workflow i think um the main reason is of course the complexity so if you imagine companies like SoundCloud, they start kind of small and, and develop at a rapid, rapid pace, uh, like typical startup development. So it's it's not only in regards to the product, how many features they, they will gain over the time, maybe they will change some focus and do something differently, but also, you know, the amount of people working on that. And this basically results in this monolithic thing, which is starting to exist somewhere because, you know, to pay off technical debt you will always have in your in your in your uh, software when you develop something you need some time you need to you know th- uh, lay it back and think about it and if you are always going like at 110 miles per hour then it can can get difficult especially if you always have you know the whole context around your head uh, and i think that was the main of the technical reasons behind that behind uh, behind the the fact that they thought they are getting slower or they are not as fast as they could be. And I think if you want to uh, know more, you can actually uh, go and re- read the blog post because uh, Phil is going into a lot of detail about like, how they actually discovered where are the bottlenecks and what kind of uh, methodologies they use to analyze the whole process and 
and um, they did a lot of little little steps before they even went towards um, microservices because they they were actually uh, very happy with the the mothership how they called uh, or still are calling the monolith and uh, they started with optimizing uh, how they work actually be, before they actually arrived at the technical discussion where they said okay maybe we should we should think about splitting the stuff we have right now and make it more independently deployable and, and scalable and that stuff. Right. Uh, and I'll put that uh, that in, in the show notes, um, the blog post. So we've talked about monoliths versus microservices in the abstract. We've talked uh, kind of basically about the, the core problem that SoundCloud was experiencing with the monolith, that it was hurting the lines of communication across the company uh, was hurt it was slowing down product development um, so how did SoundCloud decide to start thinking about moving to microservices I mean there was it was this was a gradual process it wasn't a um, it wasn't a sudden you know pull the rug out from under the entire company describe the gradual process and how they how they eased into experimenting with microservices and um, and and working microservices into the company so um, so yet again I think uh, the, the blog post we already talked about uh, is, a, is, a, is a good uh, starting point to, to look this this up and uh, the engineering blog post of SoundCloud in general also um, but uh, they had basically uh, they started a project uh, back in the day where they needed to uh, re-implement uh, the main web page. And they discovered that for whatever reason, it took longer than they expected. And um, so then they uh, tried to figure out why. Uh, and the, the first thing was, okay, the, the one team developed the app, the other team developed the, like the, the app meaning the uh, backend. And um, the other team was actually responsible for, for the front-end stuff. And... Uh, uh, because of of this divide between those two teams, uh, it took way longer uh, than expected. And then the, uh, they discovered that the complexity of the mothership was getting bigger and bigger. Um, and uh, the amount of time they spent to be able to guarantee that they are actually not breaking anything was so substantial that uh, they started to thinking about, you know, how about just splitting up the stuff we need to implement right now so then uh, we can... Ev- basically avoid this whole integration into the existing mothership. And I think that was that was the starting point. And I think this is also always the starting point um, with companies which are, which are which are in this particular situation. I think nowadays a lot of companies are looking at uh, at their code base uh, internally and saying, okay, maybe we could maybe we could uh, do something about that. And there there are very uh, you know microservices um, are based on on uh, practices or, or uh, patterns which are not that young, to be honest. Um, this whole idea of domain-driven design and bounded context, um, the whole notion of DevOps, it's like all, all these parts are coming together and um, have been discovered as a as a kind of a booster for this style of architecture. Mm. Okay, so let's let's discuss a couple of those things. Uh, bound, you mentioned domain-driven design and bounded contexts. Could you, for some of our listeners who don't know these terms, can you define them and then explain why they're relevant to a project like SoundCloud's decision to move towards microservices? Mm, okay, so um, let's start with like domain-driven design is, is uh, 
as a, also a title of a book by Eric Evans and um like i don't know like to summarize it very quickly it it talks about how you should actually approach modeling in in, in software uh and the bounded context is one of the central elements uh where you say that you you should think about um about the very specific uh, functionalities you recognize uh in in your domain uh, which correspond to actual the actual business the real life and you try you should try actually to recognize the, those uh capabilities or contexts uh, in in real life and uh realize them also in software and you should also uh, and w w why they're so characteristic because they do one thing and they should do this one thing well and they this thing is unique to them this is the only only part of the system which will be taking uh, care of this particular particular action or functionality, so to say. And whenever those banded contexts are corresponding with uh, talking to one another, they use the shared model. But this is the only thing they actually expose to another. So you always try to... Um, to reach a very high cohesion and a very loose coupling in those bounded contexts. So, so they are really, you know, focused on one particular aspect uh, and everything else is outside. Mm. What are the consequences that can occur if your bounded contexts are not clearly defined? The main problem you will get then, and, and then we come back to the like why a lot of people are thinking that monolithic uh, code bases or monolithic software is bad is, is that uh, you will have uh, a lot of duplication of logic in your code base because you will you know you will some some people say you smear certain logic all over your code base so there is no one point responsible for a particular functionality but you have like a lot of a lot of little little here and there's where you solve the same problem and this means of course that whenever you want to try uh, change that particular functionality you need to touch a lot of stuff and everything is entangled and then you know you don't know actually how this will actually how this particular change will uh, will result will will behave here and there and this is like this this one of the big problems and if you uh, if you have a monolith where you already thought about which is already organized around those bounded contexts you can if you think about it, like let's for an example let's talk about java program so you you can organize your bounded contexts around packages and you can you can actually guarantee that those packages then are um are basically independent from another. Of course, they will. Some of them will use others, but uh, they do one. They do this one thing. They do it one. They do the, the thing well. And by definition, then you could actually say, okay. So if I know that they are by them, uh, they could stay on themselves, and we then I could actually deploy them on themselves and let. I could then say the other parts of my uh, application could basically instead of making method calls they could basically go of a network and then i can actually split this piece of functionality out of the monolith so by identifying bounded contexts in your application you are already trying to you know uh, identify very well ca good candidates for for potential microservices so mm -hmm. to say absolutely SoundCloud has a variety of client interfaces. As you mentioned when you were discussing the product, there's iOS, there's Android, there's web, and there's also the embeddable um, you know, SoundCloud song. Like if I post on your wall, I can post a, 
uh, your Facebook wall, I can post like a, a SoundCloud track and it'll appear as a as a little SoundCloud embedded thing. And all of these things are essentially different APIs. How did the variety of front-end interfaces affect SoundCloud's monolithic architecture? So um, the problem they had was that, you know, they need basically to serve everything. And therefore they had a huge... Um, API gateway in front of the, the monolith. And uh, this basically was a big, big part of functionality, which which, which by doing everything uh, contained a lot of logic and got a bit problematic because, you know, they had one piece of, of, uh, of system where everything is going through. And, and this, of course, means that um, um, they sometimes didn't do the best thing they could for a a, a particular client for, so for example if you if you think about a native ios app uh, it will be definitely different like the whole experience will be different than for example uh, embedded content uh, on facebook or even your web page but if you have a you know one generic api gateway then you have also the tendency to reuse a lot of stuff and maybe you will basically serve the same thing to your uh, native iOS app and to your web page, which is mm. probably not the best idea. So what are the consequences of this? Like what are some ways in which a mobile, so like a mobile app would want to access data from a server in a different way than a desktop web browser wants to access a server. So why does this impact the the optimal API design for the way that a server is vending data to a client? Uh, so basically, because of the fact that you have these differences in how you want to access the data, like for, for obvious reasons, you know, if you are on a mobile network, then uh, you want to take care about the amount of data you are actually requesting from the server and also the amount of requests you are making. So, you know, you, you're probably not that strict if you are using a, a normal web client and you, you use your PC because then, you know, you've got broadband connection and all that stuff. Um, and this, of course, means that um, the counterpart of your client needs to take this into, into consideration. So now you would think that if uh, if you are talking, if, if the native iOS app is talking to you, requesting, for example, the list of your favorite tra tracks, then you need to be very efficient and you need to, you know, provide exactly what this particular app wants to show and you know the amount of screens uh, screen uh, surface you have uh, at your disposal is different so you probably don't need so many results and and all that stuff uh, and this means that um, at some point in time you will be thinking about you know splitting the uh, the the api gateway so to say or or doing this ui integration in a different way so uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe we can talk a bit uh, about this at this point. Uh, I mean, there, you know, whenever you do microservices, you will discover that your clients will be potentially making a lot of calls, and they will be talking not only to one partner, so to say, but they need to, you know, call a service A, a service B, a service C, or I don't know how many. So some people are okay with that and say, okay, you know, I, I can allow my my web page. Um, the JavaScript code running in the browser to make a lot of requests, but this is probably not the most efficient way how to you, how you can actually deal with that, and you 
as already stated, you wouldn't do something like this on, on a mobile device. Um, so therefore, you can then say, I will bundle those calls and, and say, I will offer a specific uh, API for an iOS device or all my mobile devices, depending on how do you want to achieve uh, approach that. And this is where we can start actually talk about this back and forth front-ends pattern, where you say, this particular this particular um, little uh, service uh, is offering the API my certain uh, native client needs, and um, and um, yeah, that's it. So okay, so to put it in concise terms, how would you define the back end for front end pattern? Um, I would say this is. Um, um, it's a, it's a way of doing the UI integration where you offer one uh, endpoint for your uh, U, UI client, or you can even say user experience, which is highly optimized for that that particular uh, use case. Right. It's basically a tailored API for a specific platform or a specific user experience. With the back end for front end pattern in place or if if a if a company like SoundCloud decides okay we're going to use back end for front end what is the impact of that on the relationship between front end developers and back end developers i mean we talked about how SoundCloud was essentially you know this like divided into this bipartite uh, engineering team with front end developers and back end developers so how does the relationship between those two teams change mm, of course uh Obviously, uh, it meant that um, the team doing d delivering the uh, application, iOS application or Android application, they also needed to to think about writing those backend BFFs, and this of course means that you need a different skill set. Of course, you know they up, up till now they were uh, very efficient uh, in in developing native iOS uh, code or or uh, doing uh, Android code, but now that there is a totally different story. You need to not only you need to deal probably with a different tech stack. So in case of SoundCloud, um, um, in most cases uh, Scala and uh, Finagle stack, um, but you also need to think about a totally different problem space. You know, you know, backend and frontend still have a lot of differences, and you need to think about you know uh, monitoring, authentication, uh, telemetry, and all that stuff. So this meant that um, the team which was um, delivering the client and the BFF needed to upskill in this regard or needed probably to, you can also say, I don't know if SoundCloud did it, but I would assume that uh, it would be a good idea to basically rotate through the teams and say, okay, people who are doing backends, they will basically join the new uh, iOS team or maybe not an iOS team, but iOS app team. And they will also help them to... Um, to also uh, be able to develop the BFFs. And I think, mm. to be honest, uh, I think uh, as I, as an engineer, would welcome such a development because this offers you, you know, to be exposed to a, another technology, another tech stack. And in the end, we all uh, love what we do, probably because we learn every single day something new. And this offers you even more opportunity to learn and grow as a developer. Totally. To help with this new way of writing applications, the backend developers at SoundCloud developed a lightweight library which enabled writing the, quote, edge services more easily. 
what is an edge service and why why did the backend developers develop a library to vend these? So like in this particular case, an edge service is exactly a BFF because an edge service is this, this particular part of the system where you know the you are you are um uh, getting out of uh, out of your uh, uh, perimeter or where where the client is actually you know uh, the 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 service which is called by the client to get the data so to right say. so in this particular case an edge service is exactly a bff um but um they decided basically like uh, to uh, standardize a bit how the BFFs are written and to minimize the amount of work you actually need to invest into writing a new BFF, they decided that they will provide you a little help. It's a, also a well-known practice in, in, with the microservices that you say, you know, to, to reduce the cost per service, so to say. So how, how quickly basically you can, you can um, spin up uh, a new microservice. You often will say, uh, we have a standard uh, template or something like this, where uh, or uh, and a very good example where you, where everybody can look how we do certain things because you know you will need to do certain things a lot, um, and therefore uh, this is similar to that where you say okay there are certain things you need to think about like telemetry, uh, how do you deal with um, uh, failure if if you know because a BFF is in in the end an aggregation of API calls. And some you could say yes, because uh, the client is requesting a particular set of data, and you need to spread those requests to downstream services. And whenever you get the data, you need to say, "Okay, I'm done. I will now communicate that upstream." Sure. And you can do it asynchronous. Or you probably will do it asynchronously, and then then you of course need to deal with uh, some services not being able to respond, and then you need to think also about that and uh, those kind of things. Uh, could be potentially also integrated into call library, allowing you to do some kind of circuit breaking and all that stuff. Absolutely. So you you write that the the BFF implementation was not a direct shift towards microservices, but it was more of a minimally invasive migration towards microservices. Describe this in more detail. So um, as you can imagine, by 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 definition, a BFF will introduce another uh, another layer in between the the downstream system you have and your clients, and this of course offers you a, a flexibility that you can change those downstream services uh, more independently, because you know the BFF needs to change, and the BFF is more or less in your hand, and the API the native iOS is using uh, can still be the same. So in this regard, uh, it decoupled the release cycles of, mm. of those uh, clients and, and underlying services. Uh, and uh, if it's, it's also similar in some way to, um, to a strangler pattern where you can say, okay, we uh, instead of calling true directly to the API offered by the monolith, we have now a BFF in front of that, uh, which is basically, you know, uh, in the beginning, just proxying requests through the monolith. But as soon as we have new services, uh, only the BFF changes and the clients are still the same. Mm. And this, this, and by 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 doing something like this, it's probably uh, not so messy uh, when you when you change a lot uh, underneath the BFF uh, towards the clients, so to say. 
In your article, you talked about the option of how many BFFs a company should have or an architecture should have. How did SoundCloud evaluate this question? Uh, this is this is uh, interesting. I, I know that um, uh, I, I can only speculate here. I, I never asked them how how they came up with uh, with the exact uh, structure or amount of BFFs uh, they did. Uh, but um, in the end, it's um, as we already talked. Uh, um, it's all about the teams and who is working on what. Um, so, for example. Um, they, uh, if you if you would have an iOS team and an Android team, and they they work totally independently from another, then it is probably reasonable to say that it would be the best thing to have two BFFs, one for iOS and one for uh, the Android team, because then you know they are fully autonomous from each other. They can decide how quick they go and what do they implement first. And how they, of course, develop their BFFs, so how they serve their data. And there, there's still some differences in both ecosystems in regards to presenting data and you know doing stuff. Uh, and I think this is the normal way how you should tackle that that um, that issue in regards to okay, how do how many BFFs do I need? How many are too many, and how many are too little? I mean, it depends uh, from your on your um, business case and what you are actually trying to achieve. And on on the way how you work in regards to how many teams do you have and how many how many separate products do you have like separate clients. So for for people who may have gotten lost at some point in this conversation, is there a difference between a BFF and a microservice, or is a BFF a special case of a microservice? Uh, I wouldn't say it's a microservice because it doesn't have um, the clear purpose a microservice will have. So it, it's not organized, and this is like coming back to the bounded context uh, discussion we had uh, a while ago. So it's not organized, uh, or it's not solving the purpose of a bounded context. All it does is basically um, scatter and gather um, data for the client. So it's it basically gets a request from the client saying, okay, grab me that stuff and defines uh, and decides, okay, then I need to call this, this and that. And then whenever I get the response, I will, you know, maybe do a little transformation of the data and uh, send it back. So it's not a microservice per se, but of course it's, it's probably very similar in the way how you deploy it, how you monitor it and... Um, uh, even the some te technology stack will be very similar, but in the way, uh, it's much simpler than that. It shouldn't. It should be in in the best case scenario. It, it's stateless. It's just you know, uh, getting a request and proxying it through, grabbing the data and sending it back. In a microservices architecture, you're typically breaking up your architecture by features such as authentication and database calls and other narrow request types. In BFF, you're making a compromise. Instead of breaking up your monolithic app into services based on the request types, you break it up into services based on the user agent. Would you say that's correct? Uh, yeah. Although I don't know what do you mean by breaking up by... I mean, you, you break up your services by, by those bounded contexts. So you break up it, you know, by, by specific use case. Right. And uh, so in, the, in this particular way, a BFF doesn't follow this pattern. Uh, but um, but it, uh, it's true. You, you will have, you know, as 
yeah, a specific user agent has a very specific and particular needs and therefore probably calls for a for a specific BFF and therefore you will create one. So it's not as as said before, it's not um, wrapped around a bounded context, but it's wrapped uh, tailored for the for the user agent. Mm. What are the downsides of a BFF implementation? Uh, so you know, it's an additional component you you need to introduce. So if um, some people, you know, probably need to ask themselves if they actually need a BFF. Because I think uh, not everybody uh, needs to um, provide as many clients as, for example, in SoundCloud does. And uh, not every company will have uh, so many different um, uh, types of users as SoundCloud have, uh, has. Uh, and therefore, um, you probably not do not need always this additional complexity in a way. Because you are, of course, introducing uh, another another layer or another kind of service uh, uh, or part of the system. Uh, and of course, then, you know, you have this whole different thing about, you know, you're, now you need to think about developing backend stuff, although you are in a more or less client-oriented team and all, all this ah. additional, additional complexity. But as I said already before, uh, on the one hand, it can be, of course, a, a, an advantage, but depending on your situation and, and the developers you have at hand, so to say. How has the SoundCloud architecture evolved since their initial work towards the BFF implementation? Mm, to, to be honest, uh, I, 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 I know that they're still kind of happy with uh, the BFF pattern and the usage of the BFF pattern. I don't know in in a way how they are actually uh, in, iterating on that thought, and if they are having something different in mind right now, or trying to you know um, analyze other approaches to that problem. Um, so, and even if I would know that what I, what they are working on right now, I probably couldn't talk about it. So, ah, so I okay. cannot really answer that. Um, do, do you have any context into how it? the the change in the architecture has uh, propagated to uh, changes in the the organizational efficiency oh i th i think that um that they are definitely much happier than they were before so it coming back to the phil's post uh, we were talking about uh, a few minutes ago uh, so so they get got much quicker by implementing microservices and changing the way how they work so in that way, they were very successful doing that change from you know from this monolithic uh, Rails application towards uh, hundreds of uh, hundreds of services uh, uh, making um, their their system. Zooming out, what are the features of an architecture more generally that that would be an indication that such an architecture could take advantage of BFF? Um. I would say that you know if if you see that you have a lot of I don't I don't know like do you mean like what kind of uh, architecture can profit so if, from so, having so a there, BFF or so if there's a company listening right now and they're like yeah. oh man these sets of problems that SoundCloud had are exactly my set of problems I need to go and implement BFF what are the characteristics of that company? 
Oh, so if you if you have uh, a lot of different clients, uh, which are exposing totally different uh, needs in regards to the data they are consuming and how do they want actually to get that data from from your backend services, then you are probably in a right place to think about uh, and analyzing and looking into BFF more. Mm-hmm. What kinds of uh, it's it, because so it seems like BFF is kind of this uh, intermediary. Uh, service layer that communicates with with more specific um, microservices. It, that's accurate, right? Yeah. So, what are the what are the problems that can emerge when you have when you start introducing additional layers of services uh, in between clients and the uh, the end layer of services? Uh, so. I mean, you know, by definition, um, the the main problem you can get into is that if you aggregate those calls, uh, you don't think about, for example, uh, failure modes. And what do you do if one of those services is not coming back? Because uh, then, you know, the whole call basically will not return and you are not able to show any data, although maybe 99% of your system is working just fine. So you have some additional complexity here you need to think about. Right. That would be, for like in in my opinion, probably the the major thing you really need to get right uh, before you to to basically mitigate that risk. Right. So, if we zoom out even further, what are the lessons that the SoundCloud case study has taught you about software architecture? <laughs> uh, I think that. Um, the the one like and this is like of course not not unique to BFF, um, but more probably to this um, uh, microservices style uh, of doing things is the fact that um, if you gain more autonomy by having smaller teams orientated about around a specific business need, then you can get, go way more faster than than before, and this also allows you to basically. Um, uh, control the complexity uh, and and distribute this complexity of your whole system in a way that it's it's uh, way more efficient. That that was my my key uh, thought about about the particular implementation. Mm. So I think at, at, if I remember correctly, at the beginning of this conversation, you were talking about how uh, you know you and and I think somebody else from ThoughtWorks has been. I guess going to some different companies and examining how they are implementing microservices or how they're using microservices. What are some other interesting patterns or uh, case studies that you've seen in the wild recently? Um, so I personally was involved only like uh, only in this this visit, so to say. Uh, you maybe you may need to to talk to Sam Newman. Oh. Uh, who who actually visited more of those companies and 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 tried to figure out what are the you know the the, the common things what are the differences, um, but interestingly enough, um, if you uh, if you if you look uh, especially at companies like you know the interview you did with with uh, Uber or, or or a company like Guild and uh, SoundCloud or um, or others, you see that. 
all of them wanted to achieve a very fast pace of development and uh, probably without the microservices they couldn't do this Mm. that that's for for me like the one like the biggest motivator you can you can you, which can be actually found in all of those companies they want basically to be faster at what they do uh, be able to deliver fast fail fast and therefore need this independent uh, teams working on on independent um components microservices which then can be uh, be, be totally uh, controlled by them in the regards that uh, they are f- free to to decide what stack they're using, how do they run it, and uh, and uh, how do they monitor it? Or maybe, of course, monitoring and 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 the infrastructure is more or less not that changeable, but um, the technology, the other technology parts are. So that is to say that each of those cases that you mentioned had to move from a monolith to a microservices architecture. Yes, yeah. I, I actually never, <laughs> I, I personally never seen um, a case where where uh, the client or a company we talked to uh, started straight from microservices and arrived at you know the point where they had hundreds of those. Do you do you find it surprising that we haven't figured out like a framework or some some way where we can like. You know the one click, like a, like one click start a start a company framework that has microservices built in from the ground up. Is that is that something we're going to see in the future? Mm, to be honest, I don't think so because it, it would you know the whole idea of domain driven design and bounded context is I mean um, is 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 going into the different direction. You try to first to analyze what is so specific about your company so you can actually then. Uh, define if you if you need this particular style of architecture or not um we will definitely see more in a way you know the m- more technologies popping up which bring the cost per mic- per microservice down so it will be easier and easier to you know have a certain framework maybe which integrates all the needed stuff and moving parts uh to it that you need to you know when you are running this kind of uh amount of services uh, on your infrastructure or in the mm. cloud. Interesting. Well, uh, Lucas, it's been super interesting talking to you about this case study in SoundCloud and monoliths and microservices. And I, I really appreciate you coming on to Software Engineering Daily for this conversation. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it a lot. 